few weeks ago, I was lying on the floor of my office pretending to meditate with tears running down my face. I wasn't actually meditating. Really, I was just escaping the persistent feelings of overwhelm, dread, and paralysis that I'd been experiencing for days. I knew something was up. And that's when I decided to get to the bottom of this, to find out why I was so burned out. Welcome to Think About This. I'm Alexis Dean, and I am so glad you're here. For years, I've been building a community to support high-performing, high-impact, wildly generous women entrepreneurs. Yet over the past couple of months, I've had dozens of conversations with entrepreneurs who are feeling completely burned out or on the verge of burnout, just like me. It's something we're thinking about, but we're not talking about it. So many of us have been at what Brene Brown describes as surge capacity for months and months on end. And whether or not your business is succeeding, you're likely feeling the mental and emotional effects of the pandemic too. Burnout has been described as an epidemic of our times. So this season, listen in as I pull back the curtain and talk to experts who can help entrepreneurs like you and I to better understand burnout and stress cycles and improve our mental wellness so that we can continue to live our big dreams and build impactful legacies. I hope that sharing my journey will show you that you too can give yourself permission to raise your hand. And if this is the case for you, to say, I'm not okay and ask for the help you need. On this episode, we're talking about burnout prevention and recovery with a human performance expert, researcher, and Navy SEALs trainer. Have you ever wondered why some people are so good at managing extremely stressful situations while others in the same situation are falling apart? Well, it isn't a magic pill or some form of super parenting that you can do or some kind of hypnotherapy course that you can buy online. The research might surprise you. On today's episode, I'm talking to human performance expert and founder of Fount, Andrew Hare. At Fount, Andrew and his team deliver comprehensive, customized, and concierge human performance and wellness programs. Over the past decade, Andrew has led human performance and biotech strategy efforts for the U.S. military, from running research and development strategy to getting Navy SEALs ready to deploy with specialized training. He's become a trusted advisor to special ops personnel, pro sports teams, leading corporations, and world-class scientific institutions. And if you can't tell from this bio, you're probably going to notice from what he's about to share in this interview, Andrew is pretty much a genius, and I felt way out of my league on this call. But the good news is, Andrew is great at translating his research and making it accessible to everyone. On this episode, he dropped a ton of valuable information, including the answer to my biggest question, and maybe yours, about his research and the work that he did with the Navy SEALs. My big question is, why is it that some people in the military can handle nearly unimaginable levels of stress? From no sleep to heavy combat, people trying to kill you, people dying all around you, killing people, and more. And that they continue to perform, and they come back to their home countries seemingly all right. Whereas other people who've gone through the same training that otherwise should be totally similar, seem to break down and they're never the same again. I'm curious about this because it obviously directly relates to understanding how people manage crazy amounts of stress in business and in other areas of life without major repercussions, while others, including myself, find themselves getting overwhelmed or burned out. Andrew has spent much of his career trying to understand this question and creating better training programs and applying his research with people like you and I. There are so many lessons that you and I and all entrepreneurs can learn from Andrew's work. So on today's episode, you'll learn 
The two most important factors to being able to perform at really high levels of stress over time and how stress impacts the way you think and your stress hormones and so much more. So let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Andrew Herr. Thanks so much, Lex. This is great to be here. Um, you know, I just hear so many wonderful things about your community and uh, we've had such great discussions in the past that I'm really excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Thank you. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners today a little bit about who you are and specifically how you arrived at your work as a human performance strategist. And also, how the heck did you get to the Pentagon? I mean, that is so fascinating working with the Pentagon, special ops. I mean, all of that. How did you come to be where you are today? Yeah, so <clears throat> serendipity always gets to play a role in our lives. And, um, you know, so I guess the best place to start is, you know, if I lived my life 10 times, I probably would have been a doctor five of them. My dad's a doctor. And so I, I really grew up loving both sort of the intricacies of the human body, but also I think really the like investigatory part of it where, you know, there were lots of puzzles to solve. Patients could be kind of puzzles to solve. Um, the other side of my family is a bunch of like Marine Corps um, vets and my grandfather, you know, was, you know, brought home a silver star in the Navy cross from World War II and really you know, was, a, was a war hero, I think I can fairly say. And so, you know, I kind of had these two sides of family um, that really turned into two different pieces of interest. And then I actually found a program um, at Georgetown where I could do science, technology, and national security. And I got kind of got to do both. Um, and uh -huh. I was really interested in, you know, how advanced technology could interact with national security. And I was doing some work on nuclear weapons, as one does. And um, <laughs> long story short, that took me into a program that was at the intersection of uh, nuclear physics and uh, human health, which is basically like, how do you protect people from radiation? What are the effects? Lots of work on cancer. Um, so I was doing graduate work there. And at the same time, I was working in a nuclear weapons lab for the summer. And working in straight physics labs is very esoteric. And I at the end of the summer, I was sort of looking at all the programs and all the classes when I was going back to graduate school for my second year. I said, well, you know, what I'd actually really like to do are these classes on immunology and virology. And so I walked into the director of that program's office and said, hey, I'd like to also do your uh, master's in immunology. And he said, well, it's August. We, you know, applications closed in May. And I said, well, how about this? I'll just start doing these classes. And then if I do well, you can let me in. And so long story short, I end up with graduate school with um, degrees in uh, health physics and immunology and national security policy. And somebody calls the career center and says, we need someone who does biology and natural security and can write. And they're like, we know this guy, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> One and of a kind. I got, I got hired to run a studies program for the secretary of defense's private think tank on future strategic matters looking at the future of biotechnology and human performance and how it could affect the military. And it was just this incredible opportunity. And I spent three years working with that office, looking at everything from how human performance advancement technologies could help our side, how our adversaries might use it, um, the future of threats, biological weapons threats. Uh, and then, you know, something we talked about, which was really for me an incredible um, two years I've spent working on this question of why is it that some 
small groups or small units can handle nearly unimaginable levels of stress, no sleep, um, you know, you're in combat, people are shooting at you, people are dying around you, you're having to kill people on the other side, your, your friends and colleagues are being injured or killed, but they can continue to perform throughout all this and throughout long periods of time. Whereas other units who've gone through the same training that otherwise should be quite similar break down very quickly. And so I've spent a long time working on this question of like, what is the difference and how can we understand it? And then how can we apply that today? That is the million dollar question, I'm sure. And I, I know I'm not the only one who is interested in your research and, and how you've applied it since then um, across the board with high performing athletes and uh, you know, Navy SEALs and uh, everyone else that has had the, the good fortune to work with you. So, I mean, there's a good starting off place. <laughs> like what, what are these, these troops doing or what are these, these groups doing that allows them to carry on? And, and also, I guess, does the research, research show that upon their return back to the U.S. or to civilian life that they maintain their good health and their good mental health? Or did you study them? you know, post-return stateside? So what we learned looking at this question was you need two things to be able to perform at exquisite levels over time under very high levels of stress. First one is something that's talked a lot about, which is what I'm going to call trust. Um, now you have to kind of define what trust means, but in this case, um, I'll say it's the belief that your leaders are doing everything in their power to keep you safe. Now that's a military environment. Obviously this changes a little bit when we think about startups and other things, but what's interesting and the real physiological insight that explains this, because you know, if, some, if people are, if a, if a concept like trust is allowing people to do something they otherwise could not do, there has to be some physiological effect. It's not magic. And mm -hmm. so what is the physiological effect here? And it turns out the answer is, if I'm in a group of people whom I trust, then I don't actually release the same levels of cortisol and adrenaline and other stress hormones. Those levels are lower. And when those levels of stress hormones are lower, my brain works better. So I actually can think more adaptively. Um, and we can actually show that people under stress think linearly. There's actually a, a classic experiment where they have to reproduce a complicated picture from memory. And the people who are not under stress do the outline and then fill in the details, kind of a top-down cognitive strategy. But the people who are under, who've just been in a very high stress situation, you can literally, they give them different colored pens. They literally go left to right. And it's incredible to watch how stress can linearize literally your thinking. And the second piece is these stress hormones are incredibly powerful at allowing us to mobilize physiological resources in the moment. Mm -hmm. for saving us in that moment. They are there to help the zebra get away from a lion. And it turns out we have largely the same stress hormone system as a zebra. Problem is zebra gets away from a lion, stress hormone system calms down. We can end up in these situations for very long periods of time. You're not just in combat, but obviously in psychosocial, you know, in difficult workplaces, issues and relationships, things like that. Mm -hmm. And so while they're very potent tools to remobilize the resources you need to get away from the lion, they turn almost everything in your body off that's about repair and rebuilding. Mm. And so you can imagine a world in which people in incredibly high levels of stress, they have very high levels of stress hormones. They're in a combination of decreased adaptive thinking, mm. 
-hmm. and their bodies aren't repairing themselves, rebuilding themselves. And so that can cause organizations to fall apart very quickly. The second piece is mission focus. And I think this is what gets left out a lot. You know, Google did a study of all their teams and, and came away with the conclusion that psychological safety was the key factor. Right. And I think that there's some elements and some overlap with how we think about trust in a, in a kind of work organization, but the missing piece is mission focus. And the thing is, because no matter how much you trust the people, there's still a level of stress. Mm -hmm. And you want to know how are your people going to respond when the stress gets high? And the answer is, you know, we think of something called muscle memory, which is you sort of learn how to react to things. But you have that at a bit of a meta level, which is when things are stressful, do you start thinking about yourself or do you think about the team? Mm -hmm. And if you don't share this mission focus, it's very natural to think about yourself, not the team, which obviously is dramatically problematic for team performance. And then second, if you're not focused on the mission, you're just focused on yourself, then in these environments, you're often not feeling much progress. You're not getting those dopamine hits that allow our brains to say, this is worth continuing to do. And it, it's interesting to think like, you know, obviously our brains learn to do things, but our brains also need to learn not to do things. So for example, if I go hunt in this part of the forest and I continue to not capture anything, my brain better realize that I should no longer be hunting over here. Right. Because if I do, we're going to die. I'm going to die. My family's going to die in this, you know, tribe 10,000 years ago. Yeah. And so we have this mechanism whereby if you don't get any positive feedback, these dopamine hits, you actually no longer feel motivated to do something. Mm -hmm. And the same thing will happen and lead to burnout in these environments if you don't have this intense mission focus and, and have leadership that is driving towards a mission. And so what's really interesting is if you think of a sort of two by two, you know, high trust, low trust, high mission focus, low mission focus. If you have neither, obviously you're going to perform poorly. Mm -hmm. If you have high trust and low mission focus, you'll never reach your group's potential because basically everyone will slow down to make sure no one looks bad. This is a classic case you see in industrial psychology when they look at assembly lines, they'll, people will rate limit and slow down the work to make sure no one falls behind. What's probably more interesting though is high mission focus and low trust. These teams look extremely high performing mm -hmm. until the stress hits and then they fall apart. They're incredibly brittle. And so they can look great on the surface, um, but they're really disasters for any organization that has the likelihood of running into high stress, which, you know, I think any small company or frankly, any company in the world we live in today with COVID other things, like we need to be resilient um, as an organization. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we really think about, and, you know, I run a startup, we think about how do we build teams that have high trust and high mission focus mm -hmm. at the same time. And those teams are absolutely incredible to be a part of. And they're incredible to watch. Um, and you asked about how this stuff affects mental health. And the answer yeah. is um, there's not direct, there's, there's observational data of what units look like that where there is more trust in the leadership, or at least people rate their leadership more highly. Mm -hmm. And the answer is people who come out of those units and had a lot of exposure to combat have a lower rate of PTSD symptomology. And so we have every reason to believe that these types of organizations and this type of leadership does um, 
buffer against these negative psychological effects, which is, you know, just another reason that it's so powerful. Yeah. So it's buffering against PTSD. We don't know for sure that it's buffering against complete burnout, but I'm guessing there's a correlation there, what that really means. So, I mean, with your research and your experience, like, what would you say? I mean, burnout seems to be kind of the topic of the hour. I think every entrepreneur that I know is talking about it and is the answer to build a higher trust, higher mission focused organization, or are there other things that we can be doing to prevent burnout symptoms from appearing for ourselves as leaders, for our organization, uh, whether we're running a small or medium or large company, what does that look like? Yeah. So I think the key with burnout is people can handle an incredible amount of stress if they feel they're making progress. Mm -hmm. It's this moment you don't feel you're making progress especially when you're not supported by a team you trust. Obviously, that's a second factor. Yeah. And so I think the question is, how do you take what you're doing and know what the North Star is? Because you have to make progress towards something, mm -hmm. but also create interim wins that don't feel fake. And so, again, you know, I run a startup where we provide sort of the most comprehensive and customized wellness and performance programs in the world. And so we have an engineering team that needs to see the progress in the software they're building. And so we, you know, obviously like any good engineering team, they're breaking it down into parts. And as they complete things and they roll out features, you know, our clients are using them and our clients like them. And so that's, you know, a really good model mm -hmm. for the coaches we train who go through an, an extremely intensive training program based upon their already stellar backgrounds, they need to get access to more and more real life situations or working with clients. They're seeing even if they're not the one leading an interaction with a client yet while they're still in training, maybe they designed the program that was, you know, checked off on by the senior coach and then the senior coach delivers it and you see the person start it and they're feeling better. They're doing well. That's a huge feeling of like, I designed that program. The person did it. Now they're like, they're literally reaching their goals in weeks or, or months. So that's, you know, again, that is something that is really amenable to progress. Um, and then, you know, again, as we build it, like our operations team, I think is a really interesting one to think about, right? Because they're consistently supporting our clients and fulfilling things. So there, there are often fewer milestones. So then it's my responsibility to help them, uh, to work with them to understand, like, you know, what are the goals they're hitting? Like their ability to, to keep the same level of service and, um, you know, sort of make sure there's very low level of errors or mistakes um, as we ramp up the number of clients. It's my job to make sure they see the customer satisfaction that they're such a huge part of. So again, I think the answer is um, it's this combination of helping people understand what the milestones are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got to celebrate it a little bit. Um, you know, you have to make people feel valued and then you have to make it okay for people to get excited when they're winning. And, you know, I think any team that any of us is on should want those around us to win. Um, and if you don't want someone on your team to win, then there's a huge problem there. And you need to figure out, is it because like, they're not actually a good team member and they're trying, you know, or, or like what's going on there. So I think, you know, those are, that's something I think about. You know, I think to the extent people have other things going on in their lives, mm -hmm. there is a little bit of bleed over if people are, have successes in other things in their family life and others. So, 
you know, it's not just work, but you obviously can't rely on things outside of what your, your control. So I think the key thing I focus on is how do we build environments where people are feeling the successes and, and moving forward with that. And what about, you know, times like this past year and a half where maybe people weren't seeing and feeling the successes, you know, a lot of people, again, whatever size business they're running, they were hit really hard. And, and I think that's the root of, you know, what I'm hearing from people, the root of a lot of burnout from leaders and from their team members is they have been in a constant pivot cycle or, you know, some of them are starting to see an uptick in business, but they've just been kind of in this space where there isn't progress to measure. And, you know, they're trying these morale boosting activities that are, that are a little bit hollow and they're not effective. And so they're, they're seeing, you know, their attrition rates going up and, um, really having a tough time maintaining, uh, the, the, I guess the positive energy, I wouldn't want to say <laughs> to a scientist, but, but, uh, a positive environment in the workplace. Um, and retaining good staff like what what can people do if they're not seeing that progress <laughs> so i mean i think the answer is all about what the frame you approach this with is so i'd say there's two levels there one is you know the leader or the ceo whoever is running this needs to be able to keep themselves going in the game and so you know one of the tools that i like and this is not just you know because of what you do but you know, the, you know, when you have groups of other people who run companies and, and you are able to interact with them, I think you really get to see what you're doing in a different light. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if your company is staying flat, that might be a giant win. And even if your company's down for the year, but not out, you know, I think it's again, like, how do we understand what success is? Because you know, Paul Graham, who started Y Combinator, it's sort of the most important startup accelerator in the world, uh, or at least one of the most prominent, has basically this essay where he basically says the way for a startup to succeed is not to die. And the point being like, there's a lot of things you need to figure out as a startup, but if you have enough time, you can figure most of them out. The thing mm -hmm. that runs out of time is you go bankrupt or the company dies. Right. And so, you know, what what is the frame that you're thinking about as you go forward, is it like, oh, I'm down versus last year or like half my competitors are out of business today? Is it, I've had to downsize my team, which can be very stressful, or is it like into the rest of the people who stayed, look, you know, I know this is not the environment we expect now we're wanting to be in, but like you are the people I'm here to trust to like help us save this and we're gonna save this business and we're gonna then grow on the other side of it. So I think, frame of reference matters a lot. And so I mentioned, you know, having groups of other people who are peers to be around. I, you know, on a weekly basis, I'm together with a group of entrepreneurs and we do a call and, and on a monthly basis to others and hearing where people are and knowing you're not alone. And these other elements I think are critical for reframing and understanding where we are and re-energizing and like kind of being ready to go back into the breach. So I think that the answer is, look, it's definitely harder. I don't think, you know, it's, you know, everybody's excited when you're in a, you know, in a high growth time, everything's going great, yeah. but it is these times that allow you to kind of hunker down and, and build those incredible bonds. I think the trust level can go up during these times as you need, you probably need more help and more responsibility from every member of your team. And Telling them that, you know, there's a difference between asking somebody to work more and telling them you're giving them more responsibility and you need them even more. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, these are all these ideas of, and again, that's not only 
you know, giving somebody a boost in a way during a hard time, but also like you're showing that you trust them, which is, you know, a critical element of, you know, that trust relationship is very much two way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that all sounds really logical. And I think the the tough part, as you mentioned, is reframing success for ourselves as leaders. And <laughs> you essentially just pitched, you know, what we do as a community with our masterminding and having a support network. And I know that really saved so many of our members over the past year, just having others to put things in perspective and help you set a new bar for yourself. And it doesn't mean lowering it. It just means that like it's changed over this year and kind of keeping your head in the game so that you can continue to lead your team. Uh, and we also think about a lot of other tools. I mean, they're the mm -hmm. other tools that prevent you from burning out and allow you to perform at a much higher level under stress are nutrition, supplements, cognitive tools like meditation, breath work, sleep, light, temperature, exercise, recovery. Um, you know, we've worked with, and now I'm talking about my business, but like yeah. we work, we've worked with a lot of executives through the last two years. And it is amazing what, how much more of a reserve you can have if you are taking care of your brain and body. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, I, I will always bring those points up as like, these things work together. And so then it's a question of like, you know, what do you do for yourself? And then how do you think about these and talk about these as tools for your team members? Um, and, you know, from there, you know, to me that it really dovetails with the mission focus piece, which is, you know, if I'm not taking care of my mind and body, I actually don't care about the mission as much. Yeah. True. <laughs> I mean, if your health goes, it's pretty much impossible to focus on anything else or care about anything else because you're not feeling well every day. Um, I get a lot of questions from people in my community who like I was not doing very well and, and I was starting to experience the symptoms of entrepreneurial burnout and I was still out running and they, you know, I was sharing photos of running and talking about running with my ladies and they're like, but you're burnt out. Shouldn't you just relax? <laughs> and I'm sure this is something that you see with your clients and your patients, but how does that kind of play into things? Like, should people, you know, if they're already experiencing a level of burnout, um, should they be working with someone like you and taking on more, you know, starting a new meditation routine and taking on more exercise and really, you know, thinking about their diet? I mean, obviously, like your answer is yes, but why? Why is it not a great idea for me as somebody who's experiencing burnout to just sort of sit down and rest and relax on my couch every day? <laughs> So I think the answer is like, is maybe best framed as, I agree, we need to support your brain and, you know, get your stress hormone levels and hormone levels, all these things into a better place. So the question is, is sitting on the couch the best way to do that? And I think when you take that frame, the answer is sometimes yes, right? Sometimes people actually are just you know, we have people who are running 10 miles a day and they're not sleeping. Like sometimes I need people to relax and mm -hmm. give their bodies some recovery time. Absolutely. But for most people, it is the case that actually the best way to, to support your brain and body during that time is by figuring out at least the initial things that don't take too much extra work to fit into your lifestyle. And so, you know, that's, you know, I think that's the trick. It's like, I could design a program for somebody that has a hundred things to do and assumes that you have no other requirements in the world and you'll do none of them. Mm -hmm. And someone who's burned out will definitely do none of them. 
Yeah. So it's a question of like, how do you fit these into someone's lifestyle? And so, you know, I think nutrition is one of those things where if you do it relatively, if you do it well and you kind of have a good framework, it doesn't really maybe take that much extra time. And like you start to see really interesting things. So for example, if you go into a stressful event and you've eaten sugar or carbohydrate before versus water or protein or fats, you can have double the stress hormone response. So like, yes, the things you're eating are, can be integral to the burnout piece. So, you know, if you're meditating and we get you in a consistent meditation program, which is to be fair, more of a difficult habit for people to add, but within two to four weeks, we can decrease your stress hormone levels by 30%. Not that stress hormones are the only thing, but as one thing that is really part of this, you know, burnout physiology, you know, to think about just two things off the cuff there that can dramatically lower the load on your body. Um, you know, exercise can be one of those sources of dopamine for not burning out from that aspect. So, you know, I think there are surprisingly simple and relatively straightforward to implicate, implement integrations or things to integrate in your life, the interventions that um, can have dramatic effects on this. The challenge is no size fits all. Mm-hmm. And so the, a little bit of, a, a little bit is almost good for anyone, but like to really integrate it into your lifestyle and optimize your physiology really does require a level of customization. But the lowest hanging fruit, I think, are relatively well known. And so if you can do some exercise and cut out some sugar and some other things, um, but you know, people are getting conflicting information all the time. So should you be eating breakfast or eating more frequently or should you be intermittent fasting? Yeah. And the answer is like, it depends. For yeah. if your challenges are more driven by inflammation, then intermittent fasting can be quite effective. If they're more driven by stress hormones, we often want people to be eating more frequently. And so which one of those you're sitting in. And obviously then there's the case of like, what happens when somebody has both of those? And the answer is, then you maybe need to sequence A then B. And so anyways, I think the answer is it's worth integrating them. Start with the things that don't require a lot more of your time that you can just Mm -hmm. replace current habits. That's what we see as the easiest thing to do. Um, And to the extent you can find or develop or work with somebody who can customize a program for you, because I'll just tell you, it works a lot better that way, as we should expect, right? We're all different. Yeah. I mean, it's, we've had, uh, Irene Pace who introduced you and I actually, we've had her on the show in the past two episodes, uh, and talking about nutrition and the impact of nutrition on burnout and how we see food and how we eat when we're stressed or don't eat when we're stressed, depending on the individual. And it is uh, a very customized thing. And I guess that kind of brings me back to sort of what traditional treatment or traditional medicine might be missing. I think for a lot of folks, they're like, well, I have a family doctor. I have a doctor that I see. So why would I need to invest more into someone who's just going to tell me to meditate? <laughs> but what do you think? And they're, you're not just going to tell them to meditate. But I mean, I think there's an oversimplification there that sometimes happens when people think about investing in supporting themselves uh, to this level. So what do you think that traditional medicine is missing in the prevention of and treatment of burnout or some things that you notice people sort of turning to that might not be the most effective um, tools or resources or treatments for burnout? I mean, I think unfortunately that especially um, the non-specialist doctor they have no training in these areas. 
And again, it's not their fault. They went through med school and they've trained and they may be very knowledgeable about um, how to treat different infections or, you know, what, um, you know, does your kid have a virus or a bacterial infection or, does, or you know, uh, orthopedist knows a lot about whether something's wrong with your leg. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the average medical school student gets three to eight hours of training in nutrition in their entire education. And it's wow. going to be mostly about like, you know, scurvy and, and true deficiencies <laughs> that are like literal medical crises. So why would we be surprised if we don't train people that they wouldn't be knowledgeable about this? Mm-hmm. And the flip side is, you know, so now, you know, very few doctors are knowledgeable about the tools that are the most impactful day-to-day in our lives. Um, and so then you have the flip side and it's like, would you hire a lawyer who hadn't been trained in the area of law you're working in? Or, you know, I think, you know, most of your, the people who listen, you probably work with experts every part of their life. Like I wouldn't hire a software, someone to be my head of software engineering who didn't know how to write code. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you work with experts in every aspect of your life, but like, why wouldn't you work with an expert in health and performance? And so, you know, our perspective is we are, you know, we run a, a top, you know, very high-end service, but because we want to make sure we give our clientele the best coaches and the best experience and the best insights in the world to essentially allow them to go from zero to 60 or wherever they are and rapidly get them up to speed because people are busy and they're stressed and all the things you mentioned. And so I'd say that's the other thing is we're like quite knowledgeable about how to work with stressed and busy people because like that's where our client base is. Um, And so I'd say that's the answer is like, unfortunately doctors don't have the training um, and they don't have the time to do it themselves for the most part. And so, you know, again, I don't, I don't look down on doctors and think negatively. I just think mm-hmm. it's like going to a lawyer to write your software code. They don't know what to do. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, from speaking with you and other experts and specialists, like I, it's one of the first things I recommend to all of the women in our community and every entrepreneur that I know, I <laughs> advise them all to talk to therapists, um, to talk to nutritionists. And uh, and I haven't said specifically, but I will from now on, but a, a human performance expert, like there is so much that happens when we optimize for our health. And, and as soon as we lose our health, you know, you just see people's entire businesses go downhill. So I think it uh, it starts with us as leaders and our ability to maintain our good physical and mental and emotional health is, uh, is the most important. So if you had a billboard um, and that billboard was going to be viewed by every successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur on their way to being very successful, what would you put on it? What do you think is the most important thing for people to know when it comes to uh, their health and, and mental health? If I could only have them know a few things, I'd tell them to run experiments. Something that we know, like if you think about wearables, for most people, like you wake up and you see your sleep wearable or your watch or whatever, and it tells you, here's what your sleep score for last night. Okay. Like if I slept really well last night, I know. If I slept really poorly last night, I already know. And if it's in the middle, maybe, you know, the, that number tells me a little bit, but so what? So I think the biggest piece of advice I give people is if you're going to use a wearable, or if you're just going to even kind of think about how you're feeling, start to run some simple experiments could be eating more frequently smaller meals versus not eating breakfast. When do you, which one do you feel better with? And you know the trick is you don't need a super expensive piece of technology. The most powerful wearable in the world is hardwired into your body. Your brain 
has really a pretty dramatic level of insight into how you feel. And you know, when we interview our clients, they can t- they actually tell us things that you didn't even realize they knew, basically. <laughs> and so what I would say is like, start to run these experiments. And if it's something makes you feel better, it's probably good for you in the long term too. Um, you know, look, short of like, you know, there are certainly some drugs that will make you feel good in the short term that are maybe not good for you in the long term. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, for the, if you're doing, if you're making diet changes, and by the way, I mean, when I say feel better, I don't mean like ate some sugar and you like it in that moment, but like, right. how do you feel an hour later, two hours later? How do you feel the next day? Do you start to really just even pay attention to these factors? Uh, do you feel calmer and better after a 20 minute meditation session? Mm. Do you, how do you feel if you exercise in the morning? Do you sleep better that night? So if you start to run these little mini experiments on yourself, you can start to really find out dramatic things about what is going to work for your body. And, and that's the key thing is like, look, I don't care. People often ask me like, Andrew, what supplements do you take? And my answer is like, I mean, I'll tell you, but like, it's almost not relevant because it, there may not be the same things that work for you. Mm-hmm. I am not aware of any supplement in the world that I've ever seen. I'm just trying to go through my mind where I don't know somebody who doesn't react badly to it and where it hurts their performance. I think I can say that every supplement in the world that can help you can also hurt some people. And so again, like this level of customization is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just throw out a few other fun ones. Like never take a multivitamin in the morning before you work out. Um, if you work out in the morning, because the, they typically have relatively high levels of vitamin C and E antioxidants. And those actually the, the muscles. And when you're working out, you see the workout physiologically through the sort of oxidative stress and free radicals produced in your muscles. And if you block those, then your body literally doesn't see the workout. You don't get all the benefits. So like if you take a, you can I lose take like one every 50. day before I go for a run. <laughs> do not do that. It's a terrible idea. Oh my gosh. Um, I had no idea. Thank you. <laughs> you end up like with less mitochondria in your muscles, all kinds of stuff we don't want to happen. Wow. Okay. So uh, that's going on the billboard. <laughs> run mini you know, experiments, you know, with the paragraph behind it. Never take a multivitamin before you run or work out. Any other? You know, I think for the most part, like fats are an underappreciated, play an underappreciated role in inflammation. Like basically if you're at home, just cook with extra virgin olive oil and use it at home. Why? Well, because the omega-6 fatty acids like you know corn and soybean oil are probably for most people pro-inflammatory. Um, and the cool thing about olive oil is that it has you know the bitter fruity flavor that is you know kind of finds extra virgin olive oil. Those flavors are actually anti-inflammatory polyphenolic compounds. So you're like literally getting those in with your food. Some people would be like, but what if I want to fry something or cook at higher heat? My answer is exactly. <laughs> that's actually, unfortunately, frying food and that golden brown color and delicious flavor that's creating um, pro-inflammatory compounds in the food. So um, let's see, a few other things I can throw off. I, I really, you know, this idea of should you eat breakfast or should you intermittent fast? Like you'll find people who are like, this is the most important thing I did in the world. It's one way or the other, and they can mm-hmm. both be right it really is hyper variable by person. Um, so would really definitely have people test one than the other. You know, anyways, I could keep going you know, for, <laughs> for the next hour, but I just, yeah. those are a few I picked up for you. The most important. Yeah. Thank you. I think like, you know, when we're listening to a podcast, we expect people to take away a couple of key points and 
all of that, running those mini experiments and using some of what you shared throughout this episode and in the last few minutes, so important. And then, you know, never taking that multivitamin before a run again. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and always talking up on the EVO. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Before we go, is there anything else on, I mean, you know, I know you could speak for another three hours on this topic, but anything else that you think you would love to share with an entrepreneurial audience from your heart or your head? Uh, anything more that you think is at the top of the list or, or just wildly important? Sure. I mean, look, I, as one entrepreneur or another, like, I think it's the hardest, it can be the hardest and most exciting thing in the world. And so, you know, I think even just acknowledging that takes a little bit of the burden off of our brains because we're always working relative to expectations um, and your brain has its own expectations and you can learn to kind of reset those. But, you know, one thing I've found and, you know, we've been very lucky in terms of how COVID affected our business and also just been experiencing rapid growth. And I would say like, you know, the only way I can do it is by having a team of people around me, both who work for me and also who are support members of my team, um, my own personal sort of support network. It's the only way I can do it. Um, and then I spend a lot of time on supporting my brain and body during the week. And the return on investment is dramatic for me. So I would say, you know, like, take care of yourself. But I think we need to reframe what that means, which is not like, oh, I'm going to treat myself with a bunch of sugar tonight and then feel terrible tomorrow. Is it really taking care of yourself? Is, you know, what are your goals? If your goals are to perform well, maybe it's with your family tomorrow. Maybe it's not even your business. Mm -hmm. But you have to start to think about what it means to optimize against your goals. And then I think you'll realize, and people realize a lot of things they're doing are not adaptive. And then also the last thing I'll add is, you know, we found this, that if you can become hedonistic about tomorrow, you almost always win. So what do I mean? Like, I'm not telling people to do things to not do things that make them feel good. That's a great way to not have anything work with people. People will do things that make them feel good. But if you do things that make you feel good tomorrow, as opposed to just in the moment now, and you mentally connect to what's going on tomorrow, you will find that those habits are incredibly productive and can create this awesome flywheel effect. So, um, you know, I think those are just a few things that, that I really believe in. And I know work with clients. We work, you know, working with hundreds of people who are high performers, like the people who listen to your show and your community. We see, we know what works with these groups. And, um, you know, we love supporting people like that and helping them design these fly, beneficial flywheels. But even if you don't work with a professional or with, you know, an expert, you can do some of these things for yourself. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. Every time I make a green juice for myself and it's disgusting to drink, I high five my future self. <laughs> future Alexis says thank you. Um, and thank you so much for all of this. I've taken, you know, 50 pages of notes. I know our listeners have too. Uh, we'll have a summary on the site, but I also want to direct them to your beautiful new website, which I was just checking out. So where can they find you online? Yeah. So we would love anyone to reach out to us at fount, F-O-U-N-T dot bio. So reach out, there's uh, you know, forms to sign up for the wait list to get into the program. You could also, there's a, a way you can reach out directly to me through the site. And so, you know, we'd just love to answer any of your questions and uh, we'd love to help some of you reach your own goals. Amazing, thank you so much. And that website is in our show notes if you're looking for it, uh, along with uh, 
uh, some more information about today's episode. So thank you for being here. Thank you for all of the resources and information you shared. And I'm already looking forward to listening back on this one. There are just (laughs) so much information shared. So thank you. Thanks, Alexis. It was a pleasure. That was eye-opening. As we learned today from Andrew, the two most important factors in being able to perform well over time under very high stress are mission, focus, and trust. It's one thing to build a high trust team, but when people are responding to stress, they rely on muscle memory, which usually means that they start to think about themselves and not about the team. But having a clear mission focus can help individuals focus on the team and the bigger picture for the business. So my first question to you today is, how will you build a team that has high trust and high mission focus? Another key factor in preventing burnout is helping yourself and your team to feel like you're making real progress. No matter how much you trust people or feel psychologically safe, there can still be a high level of stress at work. So my next question for you today is, how do you and your team focus on your North Star and feel daily progress towards it? How will you help each of your team members to see their progress and to recognize one another's progress too? Next, Having a frame of reference matters a lot. I was overjoyed when Andrew said that surrounding yourself with people who understand what it means to be an entrepreneur at your level of experience is essential to managing your stress. So how will you give yourself a better frame of reference by joining a community or a mastermind of entrepreneurs? If you're a woman identifying entrepreneur, then of course I want you to come and join the Dovetail community. And you can start by following us on social media at Dovetail Community. On today's episode, we also talked about some of the other tools for preventing burnout and enabling peak performance under stress. So what other tools will you use to take care of your brain and your body? How about nutrition supplements or cognitive tools like meditation, breath work, sleep therapy, light therapy, saunas, cold plunges, exercise, and exercise recovery? Lastly, what simple experiments can you run with your health? For example, How do you feel when you're intermittent fasting for a few days or when you're not? Which eating habits help you feel your best? How differently do you feel when you wake up and you meditate in the morning versus when you don't? What other simple experiments can you try this week? Thanks again to our guest, Andrew Hare. You can follow Andrew and his team and check out their website by going to fount.bio. It's also in the show notes. We'll see you soon.